Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Liam, here from the editing table today to say hello again to all of you dear listeners. As you might have noticed or heard from other places, we've gone on a bit of a hiatus with the podcast to recover from the quite monumental project that was Present Perfect and to give me time to get back on track with my coursework, which I neglected quite a bit in the first half of the winter semester. But now we're back again, and as you might hear, some things have changed. We've got new equipment, which we're still in the process of testing out, so please excuse any smaller hiccups. We hope the improved audio quality is worth it, though. For this first episode back from our hiatus, Marie, Charlotte and Livia interviewed the wonderful poet Tara Skirtu. So, with no further ado, here's the episode. Okay, and we are live. Ooh, nice. That easily. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, before we start, just a quick shout out to um, our main man, Leo, who isn't here today. His heart is bleeding. He really wanted to come. Um, I hope we're going to do as good a job as he would have done. Hello, Tara. Nice Hello. to meet you. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming here, making time for us. Um, yeah, since Leo isn't here um, today, we won't have um, nice an introduction as we usually do. But um, we'll go right into... Yeah, we're mixing things up today a little bit because this it. is such a special occasion. Mm. Um, and instead of starting with a reading, we will start with asking a few questions and getting to know the person that we're interviewing. So would you care to introduce yourself, Tara? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Tara Skirtu. Uh, I'm an American poet and writer and teacher and sometimes I do some public speaking, and I write poems. I'm from, I was born in Key West, Florida. I spent most of my adult life, I spent all of my adult life in Boston, mm -hmm. and now I live in Romania, of all places. Poetry brings you to crazy places. <laughs> yeah, we were wondering, how did that happen? Did you end up How did I Romania? end up in Romania? Yeah. Well, um, basically choosing poetry, uh, completely changed my life and I tried not to write poetry for a long time like mm -hmm. I, I tried not to be a poet for years actually <laughs> and painful. well it wasn't so painful because you always you know find yourself writing things but I was like I'm not going to focus on poetry because that's stupid to focus on poetry I need to focus on something else and I was really interested in medicine so I did pre-med and I'm telling you this story which is going to end up in Romania <laughs> and when I decided to be pre-med Something in my brain thought, hmm, I can write poetry on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing that. And basically, poetry started taking over my life more and more. And I ended up finally surrendering to poetry and studying uh, creative writing. And in this creative writing program at Boston University, uh, there is a very uh, wealthy donor who created a fellowship for writers at that program to travel somewhere they'd never been, where they didn't speak the language, and it had to be a place that would inspire them to write. And you had to write an essay convincing them to give you the fellowship money so that because you had a purpose, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't want you to go to straight up vacation places. And I thought, well, I have this weird last name. My great-grandparents on my father's side came from Romania, like most American families, mm -hmm. um, coming from somewhere else generations ago. And I thought, 
I'm writing about family. My dad tells me stories about his grandmother. We don't know anything about their history. I'll just go to Romania. <laughs> and then I got the fellowship and I went to Romania. And long story short, Romania kind of hijacked my, my poetry book. My book <laughs> ends up in Romania. And I'm living there now. <laughs> cool. So your book kind of followed your own story. Yeah, I get that. Well, my book is my own story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should mm -hmm. tell the listeners the title of your book. What is it called? So, my book is called The Amoeba Game. That's a very interesting title. Um, we've been wondering about that all the time. Yeah. What does it make you think? An amoeba is, um, as far as my biological knowledge reaches, um, some kind of cell that can change its shape. So I was wondering, does it refer to us human beings changing our shape depending on which situations we find ourselves in? Or is it about life itself, that life can change its shape all the time? And what were your thoughts on that? Bingo. Spot on. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can tell she's a poet. <laughs> ah, you got that logic. <laughs> that poet logic. Uh, no, it, it, what you say, changing shape and also life. I mean, to me, the amoeba game is a game of life and it also it represents poetry to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's a game I played when I was little in Girl Scouts. I was forced to be in Girl Scouts because my mom was uh, a Girl Scout assistant leader. Oh. I was a very introverted kid. I wasn't a big fan of being a Girl Scout, but I'm really glad I was because now I have this poetry book. <laughs> and we played this game in the front yard um, of the little Girl Scout cabin uh, and we had to pretend to be amoebas. And <laughs> I remember thinking... What is an amoeba? <laughs> and we were just told they couldn't, they couldn't see. They weren't people. Uh, they were very, very so small. You couldn't even see them. And we just wiggled around with our eyes closed until we bumped into somebody. And then when you bumped into someone, you had to stay bumped into somebody <laughs> until you formed a large aggregate oh. of like this community structure. Oh, cool. And you didn't have to talk in this game, which was great. <laughs> so I always remembered that game because it felt like such, a space of potential and just pure life, moving through life. Um, but also an amoeba can be quite dangerous because, you know, amoebas in warm water can get inside of your body and kill you. So life is dangerous and poetry, uh, you know, deals with real life. Which kind of weird biologist came up with that game? <laughs> I have no idea. I saw a YouTube video. You can find, like, it, there aren't a lot of them. Um Because it sounds so specific. You know, it's like, now we're going to play the amoeba game. I know. Right. I have no idea. But when I get Google alerts for my book for the amoeba game, every time I click on it, it has nothing to do with my book. It's like so, it's some random amoeba sports science. <laughs> but, oh, so no. A really sports team. <laughs> it's not a very common game, huh, I guess. Interesting. So coming back to the amoeba game, not the game itself, but your actually your poetry collection. Um, how did it come about? Did it grow little by little over the years? Um, did you plan it? Were you found, or did you look out for publishing houses, or how? Maybe you could talk a little bit about the process behind it. So my book, I like this question because I'm a slow writer, and I never think about having a book. Except for right now, because now I have a deadline <laughs> of a year and a half, which stresses me out because the Amoeba game took me eight years. 
So what will you be wow. publishing in one and a half years then? <laughs> well, it's not quite public knowledge yet, but I can tell mm -hmm. you I'm working on a second collection for 2021. Wow. You heard and it here first. So <laughs> now I have to think in terms of a book, but I don't, mm -hmm. but even when I'm thinking in terms of a book, I'm not, I'm thinking, uh, I have a poem in my head and I need to write this poem. Mm -hmm. And it's always based on an experience and sometimes it needs another experience to happen. And then I realize they're connected. So I spend a lot of time not writing, mm -hmm. <laughs> thinking, and then taking down some notes. And then I feel when I'm ready to start writing a poem. So really, the whole book is like that. The whole process of writing the Amoeba Game was like that. And at a certain point, I realized that the poems were all related, which of course they are, because it's... Mm -hmm. um, but you don't realize that when you're working on one mm -hmm. poem at a time. Um, and so then... Your, so your process is actually kind of like the Amoeba Game itself. Yeah, I guess it is. So you just kind of collect all these <laughs> yeah. little amoebas and then they come together. And when it's a big enough conglomerate, you actually make a poem out of it. Yeah, and the making a poem out of all the poems, oh man, it's really tricky, but so much fun. Because you, you never have any idea what you're doing, whether you're writing a poem or making a poem out of all your poems. But figuring out the order is so tricky. I, I printed out copies and I worked on the order for a year and a half and it turns out I had to write one or two more poems. But it's kind of like a choose-your-own-ending story, except for you're, like, reading it, and then you keep hitting dead ends. And then you go, okay, well, I have to reshuffle. <laughs> and luckily, the trains in Romania are very slow. <laughs> it's helpful, for sure. And it helped me, because I, I finished putting this book together on a slow Romanian train. <laughs> That's so poetic in itself. Yeah. <laughs> it and obviously our listeners can't see the cover, but yeah. you've got really disjointed joints, I guess. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that you're talking about the cover because I get to talk about um, my friend Caleb Cole, who's a really badass artist, Boston area artist, photographer and um, collage maker and uh, installation artist and so this is a collage that's zoomed in and it's made of pictures of men's arms that are cut out of very old photographs <laughs> and some of the arms are joined sometimes you see interactions between three people but I wanted something that was kind of amoeba like like something you would see under a microscope but I didn't want it to be as blatant as an amoeba um And I just, I love it because every time I look at it, I see something new. <laughs> That's nice. It looks very chaotic and yeah. pattern-like yeah. at the same time. It's very nice. And just dynamic, for sure, yeah. Yeah. You send, you know, send it into our and thought. <laughs> 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 our topic is momentum. That's why it's been on our minds need, a lot. We need a good cover, yeah. Yeah. Um, just one more question about publication, sure. I guess. Because since you finished it, in Romania? Was it published there? Was it published in the US? We heard it was translated too, right? My book has a complicated life. <laughs> um, so it was published by Eyewear Publishing in London. Um, I recently got my rights back to the book because a lot of people, um, myself included, uh, were having some pretty big contractual problems and problems with the way we were being treated. And I got my rights back. Cool. So I'm in, I'm planning. Yeah, you can do that. Cool. I, I worked with a writer's that. union and basically in the end, I ended up just 
getting on Twitter. And that's, that's what helped me. And I had the support of the international writing community, publishers, readers, writers. And in less than, I think, 30 hours, I had my rights back. That's amazing. So it was actually, it was a combination of slow patience and, you know, um, anyway. So I, I, it was published in London. And I have a Romanian version, uh, and I'm going to have an American edition, which isn't yet announced, but I'm allowed to say this, and we're planning this. <laughs> cool. I'm giving the rights to a supportive publisher. And how did the translation go? Did where, did you do it yourself? Did somebody else do it? I mean, speak oh, from were they translated, oh. your poems, even? I can speak some Romanian. I can understand a lot of Romanian. I've been teaching myself, uh, but I would never be able to translate <laughs> my poems into Romanian. Okay. Actually, I really am a firm believer that you should, should translate your poems into your native language or a native that is just like your native mm-hmm. language, um, because you, you have to be able to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think most of the time, 99% of the time, poets translate poetry best. There's something in the brain, mm-hmm. the way we process and and the logic. So, so what was it like seeing your own poetry in another language? Because I suppose so you understood parts of it. Yeah, it, it, I understand parts of it, and then there are just some words that I I've never that you don't <laughs> hear in conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's like a foreign object that feels slightly familiar, visually looks a little similar, <laughs> so you can recognize. Um, and there's so much trust that goes into translation. Uh, so there were a team of, of like three of us and then an editor went over and read every single line in the book out loud for, uh, she met with us for 11 hours. Wow. Wow. Um, and the main translator is a Romanian poet named Radu Vanku. Okay. Um, and I just am blown away by translation. I think it's the most special thing in the mm-hmm. world when someone spends time on your work to, to make it available and understood in their language, yeah. it's mm-hmm. so generous and yeah, beautiful. Also, it's so difficult. Yeah. It's so incredibly difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult. Like in Romanian, I got asked this question. Um, there's a chicken in your poem. Is the chicken a boy or a girl? And I said, <laughs> it's a chicken. And he goes, well, it matters because everything is gendered in Romanian. <laughs> oh, wow. wow, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the challenges probably... Um, other languages bring with them, right? Things we wouldn't consider perhaps in English at all, and, and, but then all of a sudden they do matter as well. So. And that's wonderful. Did you know the main translator before uh, your collection was translated or did you just meet because of the translation? I did, and it, it, it's through that fellowship I told you mm-hmm. about. In 2013, I arrived in Romania and I knew no one. I didn't know the language and I had to pick a place to stay. And my dad said something about how his brother thought all of the Skirtus lived in this one particular city mm-hmm. called Sibiu. And I, I didn't think they did. And turns out they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll get an Airbnb in Sibiu. <laughs> <laughs> so I arrived. And before I went to Romania, a friend in the U.S. put me in touch with a writer friend from uh, Romania, Norman Mana. And she said, just write him, tell him why you're going, and he'll write you back. And he gave me some emails. And he said, don't worry, you'll meet people. And one of the people he put me in touch with said, if you're going to Sibiu, you have to meet these two people. And Radu Vanku was one of them. And the first day I arrived, I happened upon a bookstore. I walked inside. I said, do you have books by these two people? 
And they said, no, but Radu Vanku is in here all the time. And her, uh, Teodora's husband runs the shop. <laughs> and, and my trip, this is how I ended up in Romania because everything, there were so many synchronicities. Mm-hmm. And so I met him for coffee. And it turns out, now I know this story, he showed up with a friend of his for backup support because he thought I was going to be some rich, like 65 year old woman who was really <laughs> bored and looking for my roots. <laughs> And then I showed up, this young blonde poet, and and he said, we're going to have an international poetry festival here next week. Send me some poems. And so then I got invited to a poetry festival, and then I basically did a poetry tour of Romania. So I got adopted by the literary community. (laughs) Everything made sense from minute one, basically, it seems. Yeah, so it's a good thing I didn't become a doctor. (laughs) Very very much so. I actually wanted to ask about that. What was it like having to give up on that one thing and accepting the other thing? Because I can imagine it must have been very hard. It was was the most difficult decision of, of my life. Um, because, but it, but what helped was I didn't get into medical school that year. I almost did. I, I interviewed at my favorite choice and I didn't get in. When I interviewed, all they wanted to do was talk about my poetry. <laughs> it was really weird. So maybe <laughs> they were doing me a favor. I don't know. There was a pathologist and he had a giant microscope in between us. And he just kept asking about poetry. And I thought, this is kind of weird because I'm at a medical school interview. Yeah. And, I think like I need a slightly higher scores on my MCATs. I didn't have a lot of time to study and I just kind of boom, took it really fast. But I knew if I reapplied, I would probably get in because I knew exactly what I needed to do. And at that moment, I was think, I, I, I felt like I failed because I had never tried so hard at something and not gotten in when I put all of my work into it. I mean, I worked like six years preparing and a friend's father said to me, well, if, You could only do one thing for the rest of your life. What would it be? And I remember thinking, poetry. And I thought, Tara, that's stupid. (laughs) But as soon as I thought poetry, I couldn't get it out of my head. (laughs) And I became aware of that. And then I met my first poetry teacher and now very good friend, the best line editor of poetry I have ever met in my life, Lloyd Schwartz. And I said, I'm thinking of applying to a writing program, it might be really stupid. And he goes, I think that's a terrific idea. <laughs> <laughs> so we really have to thank that friend's father yeah. for your poetry. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> but I think it's a great question because so many people have trouble deciding what they want to do with their life. Yeah. And to just go one thing, choose one thing and nothing else, that makes it so much easier. Well, a lot of people don't know. I mean, I think, you know, because people ask me and I always know when I that I've wanted to do poetry or what I've been interested in. So, but you know what, to me, the most important thing is since we're at a university having a podcast here (laughs) is I changed my major numerous times and it took me actually 10 years to finish getting my undergrad because life happened in many ways. (laughs) And look where I ended up because I was willing to change my path. And I see a lot of people get, they get afraid. Well, I I chose this thing, so I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And then they're miserable or they don't think they're allowed to. So I think giving yourself permission to follow that thing inside you that's nagging at you, um, that doesn't go away, it's really important. Mm-hmm. And it can bring you places that you would never believe. <laughs> I agree. 
you put that into words so nicely. I think so many students try to figure out what to do, where to go. So much pressure. What if I yeah. make the wrong decision? Well, there's no wrong decision. Every decision you make will lead into something. Exactly. As long as, and well, there are some wrong decisions that we make <laughs> in life, but <laughs> you know, figuring out which major and what direction you want to go in is not one of them. So it's really to tie this back again. It's really a bit like an amoeba, isn't it? Kind of changing its Everything, form. Yep, it's yeah. the game of life. But retaining <laughs> what it actually is. Um, that would have been such a good moment to end to podcast with but we're not done we're not done <laughs> exactly before that we want to hear some of your poetry okay and yeah you've brought along a poem um entitled with something that might relate to baseball but you i don't got it. i don't get the reference so I, not entirely. So Austria <laughs> baseball. I know Romania yeah. baseball. No one gets this title. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can explain that, <laughs> it's fielding ground balls, which ba yeah. it's actually quite literal. You're mm. you're catching balls that are rolling uh, on the ground towards you. So think of obstacles. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I see. I can. Cool. Wonderful. Yeah. Writing poetry is like fielding ground balls. Someone is smoking in the lavatory, and one of the flight attendants says, shit. And she gets on the mic and says, whoever this is will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law upon landing. While I'm writing, I hate ballpoint pens with a ballpoint pen because they don't spray my period brown ink all over the white designer jeans of the gorgeous Miami woman to my right, which was how I learned not to write poems in a metal box in the sky with a 1930s Schaefer fountain pen. And I was the one waiting at the lavatory door when we all smelled the smoke and didn't know what to do, and I'd already been between two bombs at a bombing. So, after being ordered back to my seat with a full bladder of wine, I order a whiskey. And this turns the Romanian flight attendant on, who winks and gives me nuts and olives on the house. And by now I know again, We aren't about to explode this time and swallow my nip and eat my snacks and continue with this ballpoint pen I hate, working on what will, 19 days short of two years from now, become a poem. And we land in Bucharest and everyone but me claps in perfect post-communist unison And the smoking man gets away with it. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> Post-communist. Yeah. Um, They really do. Everyone claps. <laughs> there are so many layers to that, I yeah. think. Um, it's um, difficult to choose where to start from. I certainly sense a lot of rebellion in there. Subtle rebellion. <laughs> the lyric I seems to be most, mostly an observer, like taking the position of taking in what happens around. Um, I like how you make me sound so fancy, like I'm a lyric I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made yourself one. You know, well, we are always very careful, so yeah. not trying not to assume. I know the speaker. The it's always me. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. that makes it easier. It's okay. easier with me. It's me. 
Thank you. That makes okay, it a cool. lot easier for us to interview you. <laughs> so with you, the song is the singer. If it's my song. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, it's the thing that a lot of people say that you shouldn't assume that just because somebody sings a song. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's funny, though, because you, there's all this dance around terminology when you're in, you're saying the speaker of the poem. But it's funny. So if I'm, if I'm having a conversation about buying poems, it feels weird to be like the speaker, the speaker, the speaker. Um, and for me, it's always just me. Okay. So I'm down. Cool. I'm down with talking about. Okay. So you in so that plane. <laughs> yeah. You in that poem seem to be um, an observer of the situation, taking it in. Maybe that's also just my um, sort of imposition of my own poetic self in terms of I tend to walk through life and observe things and take them in without sometimes actively interacting with my mm -hmm. surroundings and because all that sums up then and it has to be expressed still it turns out to be a poem perhaps or it's it's expressed in some sort of way um and the, the subtle rebellion i found in there is like you're the only one not clapping <laughs> <laughs> um, you're the one just ordering alcohol because there's no way to go to the bathroom i'm like i'm moment. a lady give me some whiskey <laughs> Um, and, and also these uh, traces of sort of history lingering on and this perhaps subtle criticism of communism or uni uniformity or um, people acting without thinking just out of a habit. Mm -hmm. Those are all things I can see in there, but I obviously am interested or curious about what your thoughts were on that or whether they just happen, whether you construct them, whether... In making this poem, mm -hmm. well, I mean, I was—I always write by hand, and this was the last time I wrote by hand with this ballpoint pen or with this fountain pen, which oh, wow. I sadly left in Bucharest when I came here because it's my favorite pen. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this actually, I combined two flights um, because uh, I got my brown ink all over this woman's white jeans at the beginning of a long flight. She was really nice about it. I tried to buy her new pants. I told her I'd try clean them. I, I tried everything. And then she said, it'll just be a project for my mom. It's <laughs> a very positive attitude. So she was, she was really cool. But I, I was so embarrassed and I was just thinking about how much attention goes into like, you know, carrying fountain pens around and in the process of writing. And then, you know, this smoke thing happened. And I come from a society where shit happens in public and it changes your brain and it makes you more aware. And so there's a certain fear that probably was in my brain. Well, most definitely was in my brain where, I don't know, maybe someone else had been standing there. They would have been like, oh, that, that's a person smart smoking in the bathroom because everyone smokes in Romania, basically. <laughs> But I, I don't know how to explain it. Basically, I just like what you said. You, you're you're observing things. You're experiencing something, and that's part of writing, actually. Yes. And when something stands out, uh, and by stand out, I mean like it could be a, something really subtle, but it it has some sense of conflict or underlying meaning, you know. But the important thing is, it makes you feel something you can't express in words. Mm -hmm. So I guess like being trapped in a plane in the sky and smelling smoke and being forced to sit down and being like, what's going on after, you know, and I was at the Boston marathon bombing 
And so I know my brain knows what it's like to have this fight or flight response. Uh, so I think I was thinking very much about that memory when I wrote this poem. And so the memory of being there, the awareness of how our brains have changed in our society in the U.S. Uh, and then the, it's also just about writing poetry. <laughs> it's hard to write poems about writing poetry. <laughs> But somehow, really, that's what this is. Mm. And about is a dangerous word, I think, when it comes to poetry. Because, you know, sometimes you go to readings and people say, this poem is about. But it's mm. never just about that. Yeah, and also, true. like, it, it's kind of like telling someone your dream. You're putting an image in someone's mind. And you know how when you're expressing a dream, you actually feel like you're getting further and further away from how yeah. the dream felt yeah. <laughs> or looked or that's sounded? True. So anyway, this is all rambling speech to say, I just wrote the experience and I was thinking about the act of writing poetry and the need to write poetry and to write through the most difficult things in our lives. Because I in a humorous way sometimes. I, I noticed when I read it that it's all just one long sentence. Yes. And I was wondering if that was intentional. Yes, of yeah. course. I, okay, so you... Come on, I took eight years to finish my book, of course. <laughs> so you, you do think about uh, punctuation and structure and stuff in your poems? All the time. But I don't tend to write in forms. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, but I'm I'm very particular about where I want to end a line. Mm -hmm. um, and... I'm pretty traditional with punctuation. I really like a dash, a good dash. Mm -hmm. You don't dash. want to put them in too much, though. Um, but I, I'm I'm a very slow writer, and I think I spend a lot of time thinking about this, and I do a lot of drafts, and the only person I listen to is Lloyd Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think it's interesting. I think, I mean, I read, I think, three or four of your poems in the last days, and I like them all a lot, and I was like, Thank okay, you. this is so different this is such different poetry i've How? never i've never seen it before um it's kind of like you, you tried to say like um observing something and trying to write it down about about writing poetry and like the amoeba i don't know it's yeah. it's hard to, hard to 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 say what i mean but what i really found interesting about it is that um there were barely any rhymes as far as i can remember in those poems but it still has a very nice rhythm and I, I find that very amazing mm -hmm. also when you read it just now the way you read it and you the emphasis you gave I really like that thank you do you sometimes rhyme I do but the rhymes tend to be internal like in the middle of the line oh. I, I don't tend to rhyme at the end of the line okay. ah, I rhyme that sentence <laughs> 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 but I like to I write poems the way I talk mm-hmm Because I, I don't like it when poems try to sound smarter than you. Maybe that's what I what I mean by your poetry is very different than poetry I usually read. Because it sounds like, yeah, like just really a, a train of thought somebody has. You, you can really follow it in a way. I, I really find that very Thank exciting. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I, like I was lot. talking this morning to a friend and, um, you know, I, I said I write like I talk. But I'm also very careful about every single word in this thing. And I said earlier, call me, like we were talking about sex in poems because <laughs> someone had put, uh, an unsavory image that just didn't, I am not a prude woman, but some things just don't need to be in a poem, I think, mm. some parts of a story. And I said, call me an old fashioned Elizabeth Bishop, but not everything you talk about has to end up in a poem. <laughs> <laughs> I was 
Mm, not to get too poetic myself, but I think your poems have a very heart shell. It's like when you're in them, you're caught in that moment. Yes! And Thanks! <laughs> that's awesome! That makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost you're caught in amber or something. Like some people, you know, when, when you wow. are in that moment, it's just like a soap bubble and you could go somewhere else any moment. But with you, it's really like this thing, this solid object. And I think that's very fascinating. I do think poems are objects. And I do think a poem is not a precise puzzle. Or, sorry, a poem is not a precise puzzle, but it is exactly a precise puzzle. Because when they click, they really click. Like you're editing and, you know, if you hand a poem to five different people, even this one, which I consider leave aloneable, which is my word uh, for when a poem is done. Um, <laughs> because finished is too, like, yeah. it's too final. Mm. You, you know, maybe you find something to change five years later, but it's leave aloneable. <laughs> but if I were to hand this leave aloneable poem, writing poetry is like fielding ground balls to five different people, they would give me five different pieces of editing advice. Mm. Totally. So you have to just kind of work with yourself. And if you're working with someone, know that that person isn't going to change your voice mm. and is going to read your poem and help you find if there find out if there is anything that isn't essential or if there's something that's confusing to see your picture um yeah <laughs> i think i think we should all live with the spirit of leave aloneable i think yeah. that's it's a very healthy approach <laughs> <Love it. laughs> okay we're running out of time two last things mm -hmm. um one do you have any advice you would like to pass on to writers persons people living yeah. beings my biggest piece of advice always is give yourself permission to do what you feel you need to do it's really important it's the most important thing and it can be really hard to do especially if you're raised catholic i was raised catholic <laughs> <laughs> welcome in austria <laughs> and also think about no matter what you're working towards think about the long game and If you want, if your goal is writing and publishing, know that a lot of the books you read got rejected a lot of the time or a lot of times. And a lot of the poems you read got rejected a lot of times. I remember walking to the post office and sending like, I would send 40 something submissions out in the mail and maybe I would get one or two poems mm. wow. <laughs> accepted. Mm. So you think about the long game and give yourself permission and don't quit. <laughs> we will. Thanks. That's we will great advice. That. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's wonderful advice. Yeah. Any last things from you? Um, I think we could finish on a poem that would be wonderful. Perhaps um, shortly before that, um, if people were interested in finding out more about you and your work, where could they find you? online oh that's a good thank you <laughs> so my website is taraskurtu.com t-a-r-a-s-k-u-r-t-u.com i'm not on it as much as i'm on twitter twitter's my favorite um place to be online and i'm at t-a-r-a-s-k-u-r-t-u just at my name So I'm going to read the amoeba game. Cool. We've been talking about a lot of amoebas. True. So I'm going to read the title poem of my book. The Amoeba Game. I stood at the stove, holding a wooden spoon in my right hand, listening to butter sputtering against the splattered circle of an egg. 
Perhaps it was the flapping of the egg's wavy edges against the steel pan, or the amorphousness of its innards outside the carriage of its brown shell. I remembered an odd game I played in brownies. The amoeba game. In the front yard of the scout cabin, one girl at a time would become an amoeba and lead the rest. We didn't know what amoebas were, only that they weren't human or animal, and moved like a thousand blind legs treading through molasses. So it was that our heads and arms became legs and feet, undulating wayward into dusk. Swaying our shoulders left to right, we'd giggle through mouths we weren't supposed to have, pretending we had no eyes and didn't know where we came from or where we were going. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you all so much for being here. This was fun. Also for the workshop that is going to happen in In two minutes. (laughs) It's been very inspiring. Um, It's been a wonderful conversation. You guys are inspiring. I I mean, I've never been to a university where there's a really strong creative writing group like Universe. I mean... And your Facebook has a lot of followers. <laughs> you guys are really popular. Apparently, we, yeah. we're trying. Yeah, keep it coming. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, we'd and love to have you. you anytime, whenever you're in Vienna. Okay, Please drop by. I'm moving in. Cool, cool. cool. And to uh, do what Leo always does. This was the Universe Podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 we don't know which number because we're it's not a, it's Leo. A number. This was episode uh, mm-hmm, of the Universe. Some episode yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, sorry, Leo, we're completely messing this up right now. Um, <laughs> cue your own voice here. Edit it in later. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We hope you found it as inspiring as we did. Bye. 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 Thank you. <laughs> this was episode 25 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell other people what you think and help them find us. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter, we're at PodUniverse, on Facebook, or on our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The guest for this episode was Tara Skertu. The interviewers were Marie-Therese Sauer, Charlotte Zerz and Livia Regen. I hope you visit this planet and the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.